Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. Alright, everyone, welcome back to the podcast, episode number 314 with Al Lyman. How are you, Al? I'm doing great, Dale. Thanks so much for having me on, man. I'm super excited to have this opportunity to have have a good chat with you. So am I, mate, because I am very curious about your lifestyle and everything you're doing and the way you've chosen to live life. Um, I want to learn more from it. Um, and I know we were speaking a little bit before about uh, jet lag specifically, and, and we'll get into other things like that. But before we get into your story as a speaker, coach, author, just world dominating stuff, what's made you smile in the last seven days? What has made me smile in the last seven days? Well, I will tell you, um, I get a note almost every day from someone who's been positively impacted by something I've shared. And that always makes me smile. And I got a really, really great note from, you know, a woman who said uh, the book, my book had had changed her life and maybe saved her life. Um, that was, you know, that that, I mean, that certainly made me smile. And of, of course, you know, anytime you, you talk to your kids, you're not old enough to have kids, I doubt, but you have two. Well, there you go. Yeah, All right. Got a couple. But, you know, for me, my, my kid, my two uh, children, Aaron and AJ uh, are now 31 and 37 and I've got two grandkids, but, you know, having an opportunity to visit with them, even by FaceTime, because they're up in the Northeast United States uh, is amazing. And it's always makes me smile. So that's, that's where I'd start. Well, I'll tell you what, someone that's got two grandkids, you're looking uh, bloody good, mate. No, no, I know this is a podcast and I think that's, uh, if there's any endorsement that uh, you actually practice what you preach, um, that's living proof right there. And I want to start with, um, you know, at 25, you decided to die healthy. Um, I'm really, I want to dive more into that, but um, what made you, because I remember in my 20s, I didn't know if I was Arthur or Martha or what I was doing, mate, let alone thinking about being healthy. Um, what what made you do that? What Was there a life moment or a shift or something like that? Well, it's a great, it's a great question, Dale. You know, and I think um, when I was in my early 20s, I started a running program to try to get in shape. And when I was a kid, I wasn't athletic. I didn't do sports. I always remember being the last kid to get picked you know, on the playground for kickball, you know, uh, and, and so, you know, me embarking on a running program in my early twenties was hard because running is hard anyway, but I, I was energized to try to get in shape. I thought I was gaining weight and I was, you know, and I, ha- I took a new gig. And so I was working with some people that were exercising. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to start running to try to get in shape. And then as I got into the running lifestyle, I started to just adopt a little bit more of a healthier lifestyle overall and just think about, you know, trying to be healthier. And along with that, as time went on, I, I just became more aware of ill health around me, particularly in my parents, both at the time were smokers. My dad was aging. I thought pretty rapidly. I started to think about why some people get sick and other people don't and how we see people on different trajectories of health right? And have drastically different health outcomes. And we know a lot of it is a mystery, but I begin to contemplate these things more and more. And one day I was literally walking from uh, where this a group that I, a band that I was in at the time was rehearsing 
to another place where we worked out. Uh, and I was walking with a friend and he said, Hey man, why do you run? Cause he hated running. He just couldn't figure out why anybody would do it. And I, and I would say, <laughs> listen, distance running isn't for everybody. Right. Um, and, and all of a sudden I slowed and, and I stopped to think for a moment. And I was like, I, I turned to him and I said, I run to square the curve. And he said, square to the curve. What, well, what the hell does that mean? And I said, imagine living your entire life in good health, free of disease and dysfunction. And then one day, far off into the future, maybe at like 110, you go to sleep after doing something really fun that day and you don't wake up the next, you die healthy. And I have to be honest with you, Dale, at the time, I don't know exactly where the phrase square the curve came from, but in my mind, I, I saw this graphic of my life as a horizontal line and the day I died as a vertical line, i.e. sort of a right angle. And I was already juxtaposing that visual image in my mind's eye against what I was seeing, which was a gradual decline of health over the course of the second half of someone's life. Uh, I think we've reached a point now where we think of ill health as common, as normal. Like people get sick in their 50s and 60s, they don't even think about it. They just think, well, this is what happens when you get old. I often say, and I say in my book that I, you know, sadly, I think many people die slow, gradual deaths before their actual demise. Sometimes it's cognitive, sometimes it's emotional, sometimes it's functional, sometimes it's a combination of all three. It's sad. And I see that more and more. But at the time, I had a very different vision for my future. Now I'm going to say before I stop, listen, man, the idea of dying healthy, it sounds like a pipe dream, I know, because at some point we're all faced with the onset of some kind of disease that inevitably will, you know, mean the end of our life. But, but to me, it's about the quality of the years. So if I can delay the onset of disease, you know, I mean, if I get cancer at 115, and it means that I, I suffer for a few weeks or even a few days and then I die. I'm cool with that, you know. Uh, but the idea of seeing, you know, what what I think is more common in this day and age, which is a very long extended period of suffering where, where you know, drugs and other newer medical technologies keep people alive longer. But to me, the period of time is extended where they're suffering. And of course, that suffering isn't just for the person who's sick, right? It's for everybody, uh, the loved ones and all these people that have to, you know, they, they want to, I mean, they're happy to adjust their lives and to care for somebody and, and all, but you know, in the end, uh, I think when you become sick and that, you know, period of time where you're sick is extended, you end up becoming a little bit of a burden to the people you least want to burden, you know, and, and it's hard because people, you know, they can become, you know, bitter and resentful and they don't want to. So there's a whole host of things that that can come out of this extended illness at the end of life. And to me, I just don't want that for myself. And I, it's what I saw, uh, I've seen in both of my parents. Uh, my mom is, is still alive, but has suffered for a very, very long time. Uh, interestingly, I can't, I can't believe, honestly, Dale, between you and I, she's still alive, but she is. My dad passed at uh, 65 from brain cancer. So literally, about one year than I you know, older than I am right now. And in my book, I have a picture of him when he's 59. And if you saw it, uh, dude, you you wouldn't believe it because he looks so, 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 so much older than that. So I, I think at least from that standpoint, it's 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 valuable to share because at least it does say maybe it isn't all DNA, maybe it isn't all just genetics, you know. Uh maybe 
it isn't just my family history. Maybe the choices I make actually matter and, and can at least, you know, skew the odds in my favor. Cause we know there's a lot of mystery. We all, we don't always know why some people get sick and other people don't, but there's a lot we do know Dale. Right. And so we want to try to at least put the odds in our favor. Mm, so true. Al. Now I, <clears throat> I was going to ask about your parents because I, I did know that your dad unfortunately passed away from cancer at a young age. And, um, that's something that at the end of the day, who knows why that happens to certain people. We still don't. The one thing I, I loved about what you've just spoken about there is you gave two examples of how long you're going to live. You said 110 and then 115. Now, I love that. Uh, was was that, you know, you, you mentioned that your mum's still alive and, you know, she's alive, but she's probably not living the life she possibly could because of, you know, the health choices that she made, smoking, other things like that. And obviously your father passed away and when he passed away you said that about that photo that you wouldn't even look the same because of the image that you have portrayed and brought across and hopefully you know you've portrayed to your children and and so forth like that was that one of the biggest conscious efforts that you're like wow i don't want to be like my parents i want to i want to change that mold um because it's all well and good to think like that albert no one's going to do that for you i think that's one of the biggest things people and you you mentioned about you know drugs and new ways to improve your life and, and there are but at the end of the day no one's going to put the work in for you um so was, did that come from you know a young age when you were 25 particularly seeing your parents well it's a great question you know dale i think you know as i thought about what it meant to die healthy. And as I began to, you know, to research when I bought, I remember buying my first book on longevity and this is, is going way back is in the 1980s. Um, as I, as I started to put all of these ideas together, I think in my mind, when I thought about my dad, especially, um, I really, I really think he did the best that he could given what he knew at the time. I really, you know, part of me really wants to give a pass. I mean, I think for those folks in that generation, uh, they didn't understand the dangers of their environment to the degree we do today. They didn't understand the dangers in processed foods uh, the way that we do today. I don't even think they really understood necessarily the dangers in smoking, right? Um, I, I think today we know much more. And, and, you know, today we can't excuse ourselves the way that I think they might have from that generation. You know, in the end, I wanted to learn more and I wanted to give myself the best chance to create the quote unquote dream life that I foresaw, you know, saw for myself, you know, because I think my dad didn't have an opportunity to live it. When he retired, um, they did, a, he and my mom did a little bit of traveling together over a very short period of time. And then, and then he was diagnosed with the cancer. You know, Dale, we all have, whether we want to admit it or not, I think we all have this idea when we're in our 20s and 30s of what we think of as like our dream life, like how we want to see our life flow out. You know, we may see ourselves with a certain career, maybe, you know, uh, some kind of academic environment where we're pursuing our education. Maybe we meet someone special. If we're really fortunate, maybe we get married. You know, like you, we we go on to have a couple of children and and at least we're able to, you know, to create and build a life that we really can uh, take a lot of joy from. And I think for my dad, it was it was really cut short. And this was, you know, a lot of what was was really driving me to learn more because I I be for whatever reason, listen, I I know I don't think like most people think, but I learned early on that without good health, nothing else matters, Dale. 
not as much. Like, you know, you can have all the money in the world. We know Steve Jobs, as an example, died at 56 with pancre from pancreatic cancer. That's at $7 billion of net worth. Uh, and he was often known to have said that, man, I could pay somebody to do anything for me, but I can't pay somebody to be sick for me. He said that more than once. And, and so we can think about money and career and achievements and, you know, whatever it is. But to me, good health was the platform for all of that. When you're in pain and when you're suffering, it's hard to be the person you want to be for your husband, your wife, your father, your, your brothers, your sisters, your, your community, you know, your colleagues. You can't perform those roles if you're in pain and if you're suffering and uh, and dealing with, you know, what I what I call the doctor dance, which is going to doctors three or four times a week on all kinds of, you know, pharmaceuticals. So to me, it was it always made all the sense in the world. If I can't honor my health, if I can't take care of this thing uh, that was gifted to me, which is my body, then then what else can I do, right? Like everything else to me is downstream from that. So true. But uh, like you mentioned before, Al, you know, <clears throat> processed foods, it's easy to just go and get them because you don't have to cook and um, we've all got a body, but it's easy not to move our body. Um, do you, obviously you are, I, I'm a big I, I love moving my body too. I think it's it's not something we have to do. It's a pleasure and it's a joy. It's a privilege that we get to do it. But I'd say that both of us here on this chat today are a small percentage of people because a lot of people use exercise as a punishment or to say, I, I have to do it instead of I get to do it. Um, and when you change that narrative, it, it's, it's really powerful. And do you get a lot of people say, how do you do it? Like, what's your motivation? I, I want some of what you've got, Al. Like, yeah, you, yeah. I'm sure you get that all the time, mate. Oh. Yeah, well, it's, you know, I do, Dale. And and it's interesting. Uh, in my book, I have a chapter called Exercise, The Struggle is Real. Because I really wanted to delve into this idea of why is it so hard for people to motivate themselves to, to get started in an exercise program? And of course, I think very differently about all of it, but listen, we're all wired a little bit differently. But as, as I did my research, I came to understand that human beings are not wired to exercise. You know, if you think about our evolutionary, you know, development as a species, if, you know, at least in terms of our current understanding, humans needed to be really efficient and economical with how much energy they would expend because there were times when, you know, naturally they were uh, large, you know, groups of people were nomadic. So they were moving. Of course, they had to hunt for food. They often had to, you know, run from predators. I've often said that problems really started to develop in our culture when we left the food chain. If you think about it, like if you don't have to run from something to save your life, like, no, I know where you live. You got spiders and snakes. Too, so I'd be running from everything. But, uh, but, but listen, man, uh, I, I think when I started to understand that, listen, we have two things working against us. One, we're not wired to, to, you know, to exercise, you know, for no reason or purpose. Again, we're wired to be efficient, move when we need to move, you know, and need and, and must is different than want, right? So understanding that, and, you know, like if everybody, you know, as they're reading that chapter could at least go, okay, I get why, you know, I'm inherently lazy. That's why, because it's how I'm wired. And then the <laughs> second thing is, Listen, man, we live, both of us, we, we live in, in cultures where we're surrounded with comforts. And these comforts are largely the product of, of a, a capitalist system that says, hey, man, I can make something 
and I can get you to buy it, that's going to make your life easier. So whether it's a garage door opener or a remote control. So a lot of our, our needs in terms of movement have been taken away from us at the same time that, you know, we have this inherent, uh, you know, lack of wiring to exercise. Now, listen, we need movement. We, you know, without movement, you know, life really ends in, in, in every way that we know it. But I think to, to make that first step to start an exercise program, probably the one other thing that I see so many people do is they try to do too much too soon, Dale. They, you know, when they, they try to go from like, I haven't exercised in four years to, you know, I'm going to start a running program. Nah, bad idea. Or uh, I'm going to, you know, get a gym membership and I'm going to start going for one hour a day, you know, uh, instead of going and just saying, I'm going to do just five minutes of this thing and I'm going to do it every day for a week. And if I'm still doing it, then I'm going to add five more minutes. You know, I say in my book that people need to start with something so small that it's almost percept imperceptible as a change. Now that might may seem counterintuitive for a type A person that like wants to go after something once they've made that decision. But I think this is the reason why New Year's resolutions always fail because people set some big target that they can't possibly keep going for a lot of different reasons. So much better to start small, build momentum, be consistent, and just think about, man, doing it over and over and over again every day till you get to the point where you can do it like unconsciously without even thinking about it. Where like that five minute walk is like what you automatically do. You don't even have to like, you don't got to motivate yourself to do it. You just do it, you know, whatever it is. And once you reach that point, then that action to me becomes the linchpin to motivate you to continue because that's how it works, right? The motivation doesn't create action. The action creates the motivation. And when you repeat the actions, you start to go, man, I, I want to keep this going and I feel better. I look better, you know, whatever it may be. And, and to me, those are the drivers that build consistency and consistency is the magic bullet we're all looking for, man. It isn't about doing you know, one hour, once every 10 days, it's about doing five minutes every single day for 10 days, you know, yeah. and then maybe you got yourself close to an hour. And that's the kind of consistency. I think that can change your health when you're thinking long term. Mm, I couldn't agree more. Alan. I think like you just said there, but we assume that we need to sign up for a gym or we need to run or like they're very high intensity, you know, exercise. Like if your body's not used to doing that, walking is a superpower and if you're able to do it i know not everybody is al but if you're able to do it people don't walk enough simply just walking that yes. i don't think they realize start small with that do that every day you actually feel great don't take any devices with you and that's one of the big things i always talk yeah, about al because allow yourself to think allow yourself to be bored allow yourself to be use your imagination but also while you are just walking um do you try and tell people that and they just go, it's walking. That's not going to make a difference. You know, that's, those are great recommendations, Dale. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, I think those things are so key. Listen, wherever we are is our starting point, right? So I think as long as we can look ourselves in the mirror and, and go, okay, this is where I am today. And if I haven't done any exercise and if I haven't walked, then a five minute walk is fantastic because that's a starting point. You know, and if you're out there and you're already walking for an hour a day, then maybe that's the time to say, hey, I need I need to maybe replace one of these walks or two or maybe shorten these walks, you know, to half the distance and spend half the time strength training. 
you know, or half the time doing some other activity. So it's really about the individual person saying, hey, this is where I am now. And I just need to go, you know, and do whatever that is just a little bit more or change or whatever it may be. But I love what you said about don't bring the device. Because to me, there's something magical that happens when you get out there and move and you got air flowing through your body, oxygen in, you know, CO2 out. You think more clearly, you get that clarity on whatever issue may be on your mind. You get a chance to take in nature and, and the inherent beauty that we're all surrounded by. Uh, and those things are remarkable and can be transformative for many people. So, you know, that that's just a terrific recommendation. And one other thing I say in the book, you have to be willing to be a beginner. I think that's part of the challenge. Like we don't want to do things that we're not particularly good at, right? Mm, sure. And that keeps us always doing the same things over and over again. But man, I, I know for me, like if I can just be willing to be like not good at something, that kind of will free me up to have a little bit of permission to maybe do something I wouldn't have otherwise done, whatever it may be, um, you know, a, as an activity to just get me moving, that might end up being super fun. So true. But I think the biggest thing there, Al, is that people want to be good at things. They're scared of failure. They're scared of judgment. Um, the thing I try yeah. and talk about all the time is no one gives a shit, Al, because they're so focused on themselves. Like at the end of the day, <laughs> we're, we're worried about these things yeah. that aren't even real. We make these narratives in our head that don't even come true. And in the end, it stops yeah. us from doing something new that will challenge us and make us grow. It's this vicious cycle, isn't it? It's like, yes, like you're saying sure before, is. you know, processed foods and sitting down and not walking enough and just go around and around and around. And we tell ourselves this narrative that in the end, it only affects us. Yeah, that was fantastic, man. That's brilliant. You're absolutely right. You know, I'll tell you, man, in the book, I say it's the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves. And one of the things we tell ourselves is that anybody else cares because nobody else cares, man. <laughs> you don't, right? You just go out, have some fun, challenge ourselves and, you know, just make sure we don't kill ourselves in the process. That's the bottom line. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Now, Al, you are someone that's not just walking five minutes a day, mate. You've done dozens of marathons. Two minute, uh, two hours 39 is best for Boston. That is incredible. You are moving there, mate. Done nine Ironmans. You finished Hawaii three times. Well, how, like that is some serious training. Um, I want to know about your mindset because particularly for an Ironman, you are training hours every day. Um, and I bet you don't always feel like that. Um, what do you do for your mind to be able to do that, to be able to stay at that level and be by yourself and train those hours because nobody can do the work for you to be able to complete something like that? Well, listen, how many hours we got to talk, man? Oh, there's hey, there's man, a lot I'm, there, brother. Keep going. Keep going. Uh, oh, my friend. It's, uh, you know, there's a lot there. I, I think, you know, um, Iron Man for me happened. Uh, so I'll tell you a quick story of how I actually ended up at Iron Man. I had a near fatal drowning as a, as a 10 year old. Um, and uh, there were a number of events that happened after that, that basically, uh, had me stay away from water uh, for the next 26 years. And I know. Wow. Sorry. sorry someone was down, so, I mean, so, I know for you, like I know uh, all right. everyone down under, like your life is in the water, right? Like this well, is like, yeah, sort of I mean, yeah. for so many of you, right. <laughs> what I mean is that, I mean, you know, the great swimmers, so many great triathletes, so many great, you know, uh, waterborne athletes. I know that, you know, uh, and actually, one of my one of my best friends is a swim coach from 
from Auckland, which is the other island over. And, you know, just, but anyway, I was deathly afraid of the water after this experience. But every year I would watch the Ironman on TV with, uh, you know, with my kids. And uh, I always felt like um, this is never going to happen for me because I was afraid of the water. I didn't go anywhere near the water any deeper really than, than knee deep. Um, 1995, I was watching the Ironman on TV with my daughter at the time. She was nine and we're watching this incredible race. Thomas Hellriegel, Mark Allen, side by side on the run. Uh, Allen had started to run uh, for any of the triathlon fans out there, 13 minutes down to Hellriegel. And it was an incredible race. And the women's race at the front of the field was, was incredible too. And as it turned out, Paula Newby Fraser had collapsed uh, right near the finish line and, and was passed by Karen Smyers. But it was really, uh, I was just caught up in the excitement of the race and we're sitting there, we're watching it. And keep in mind that this was, you know, sort of my own little thing that I was embarrassed about, almost ashamed about that I was afraid to go in the water, let alone become a swimmer. I was 36 years old and I had accomplished a lot of, as a runner, no question. Uh, but to me, I always looked at triathletes as like this model of fitness. Uh, and I saw them as something that I wasn't. And so I felt a little, you know, I, I guess, uh, you know, not, not the same. Right. Uh, but anyway, I'm caught up in this race and I don't know where it came from, but I, but I looked at my daughter, Erin, and I said, I'm going to do the irony. <laughs> and, and she laughed at me because uh, actually everybody in the family laughed. They, they really had a good chuckle out of it. Anyway, that started the journey, man. I set this goal uh, for myself and, you know, I, I remember uh, taking a good friend of mine one day to the pool about a week later, who was a swimmer. And I said, you got, his name was Dan. I said, Dan, you got to teach me how to swim, man. Cause you know, because uh, I, I, you know, I want to try to do this Ironman thing. And, and he goes, okay, well jump in the water. Let me see, you know, let me just see you move around. And I, I literally couldn't even go near the water. I couldn't even put my yeah. foot on the stairs. And he turned to me and he said, I, I think you, I think you got to find someone else to help you, man. I can't, I can't really help you. Anyway, two years later, I did my first Ironman. Two years after that, I qualified for the Ironman World Championships by finishing near the top of my age group at Ironman Lake Placid. And and really what this all came from was me basically you know, facing my fear and, and, and literally challenging myself with the thing that made me most afraid and, and really made me uh, feel, I guess, uh, you know, just less than a man, if if I could describe it that way. And I'm not certainly not advocating that other people would look at it that way. But, you know, keep in mind, I'd gone all of these years where I was like, yeah, I'm a runner. Yeah, I'm a runner, but I'm afraid to go into the water. And it was just something I was embarrassed about. So this journey to become a swimmer as an adult was the hardest thing, you know, I've ever done short of watching my dad die from cancer and, and just going through that process. But it really was about the goal to get to Hawaii and to finally achieve that. You know, to answer your question, you know, the mindset, I think it was literally, um, it, it came back to one simple thing, which was the only way uh, this was going to happen is if I was going to do the work. If it was going to be, it was up to me. Uh, and I always think the first step out the door is the hardest. Uh, from that point, what I learned was to be completely present. You know, I've learned this power of mindfulness. You know, when you when you're embarking on a like a six or seven hour bike ride and you really didn't feel like doing that, like you just wanted to do something else that day, but you know you have to get the training ride. It's like the one day where you're off from work, whatever. 
I think once you get out there and you get on the bike and if you can be complete, completely present in the moment of where you are, you know, checking in with your body and just being really mindful, then the hours go by much more quickly. And I think that's a that's a mindset that I've really learned to take in all of the work that I do. Certainly when I sat down to write my book, I didn't sit down to say, oh, you know, wow, I'm going to write a 680 page book. It's going to be the most overwhelming process I'm ever going to embark on. There's no way I'm going to be able to do it. I just sat down and went, okay, what's this one idea that I want to think about right now? And how do I want to flush that out? And what, are, what kind of research do I need to do uh, to flush that out? And, you know, what are the things do I, you know, really want to consider? And you just start writing. And then from there it goes, you know, um, no other secret other than that, you know, it is, it is hard, but if it wasn't, uh, everybody would do it. And uh, sometimes it seems like everybody is doing Ironman these days, but, but I know that's far from the case. I don't know. Does that help? That no, does. It does. I, I think uh, ownership and, uh, you know, particularly as a nine-year-old, your daughter, when you said you're going to do it, you've put it out into the world there. Once you put something out there, you're only as good as yes. your word, Al. So when, it wasn't learning how to swim. The moment you said that to your daughter, you had to do it. Like otherwise, yes. anytime, you know, and that's what we are as parents. We're role models. Anytime she wanted to do something, got a little bit hard, she could say, well, dad, you're not swimming. You told me you're going to do an Ironman. Do you, that, that's where it comes back to, doesn't that's it? That's it, man. I think you summarized it better than anything I could have possibly <laughs> I think that's exactly right. That's 100% right. You know, it always, uh, it, it always was the most important thing to me to make sure that my kids knew. And I've always known that, uh, you know, that I would say I was going to do what I said I was going to do. In fact, you know, I'll tell you, Dale, I think that's one of the hardest things to do uh, as a yeah. human being is to simply do what you say you're going to do, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, talk's cheap. Like, and we can all say we're going to do things, but once you actually do that, then people start to look and, you know, it's not even about other people though, Al. It's more that uh, you said something and you did it for yourself. You're not letting, you're not letting anybody else down by not doing it realistically. It's you and, you know, and that just affects you. And then you think about it and it flows on and on and on. Now you talked about being present, obviously when you're training, um, would you call that getting like, yeah, this may sound silly for people, a six or seven hour bike ride, but would would that be like flow state? Like when you were really into your training that nothing else mattered, you were present and you just, time went away. I think to a very large degree, yes. You know, uh, I remember, and I tell the story in the book, I was having a conversation once with a coach that I had. Um, and we were we were sitting on the side of this lake up in in uh, Lake Placid uh, prior to to the Ironman race up there, and and we were both kind of shaking our heads like, uh, man, you know, why do we do what we do, right? We're just watching these all these swimmers out there doing practice swims, and um, and he turned to me and he said, you know, Al, I, I just think, man, we're being who we are. You know, we found who we're really meant to be. And I always remembered that because I thought to myself, you know, when, when you're doing something, and I told my kids the same thing, when you're doing something where time seems to stand still, yet it goes by in a flash, do more of that, you know, whatever that is, because you're probably closer to where you need to be in terms of being the person you're really meant to be, or maybe the person you really want to create uh, and see and manifest within yourself. And I think for me, certainly, um, you know, training, uh, because I enjoy being by myself, quite honestly, I, it's not like I need to be entertained. I actually love, uh, those, you know, those hours where I'm able to contemplate and think about things and, you know, toss ideas around in my head. 
but I really think I was being, you know, I was being myself by being out there. And by the way, I'm a musician too. So I know I talked earlier about some gigs. So I went to music school, spent my life making my living really in music. And so I think the, you know, the athlete and the musician, it's a similar kind of mindset, you know, to, to become an accomplished musician, you have to love the hours of practice, the relentless repetition, you know, to take, take one thing and try to make it better and better as you become a master, quote unquote, master of your instrument, whatever it may be. So there's a lot of similarities there. And I would say, you know, certainly many of your listeners could think of other activities or vocations where it's really the same kind of thing, you know, what whatever field it may be. But yeah, I love the way you describe it as a flow state. It's it's about ultimately being yourself in maybe the purest way that you can. Mm, so true. And, and and like what you're talking about, you know, with musician, when you're doing that, that there's muscle memory, that repetition to become good. So then you can play your gigs or you can produce music. Same as, you know, when you're starting to run, so you do marathons, that all that training. So then you put into place and, and again, once you learn to swim with your triathlons and things like that, um, do you allow yourself and obviously then writing a book? Um, I know I've done the process as well, Alan. I'll probably never do it all again, mate, because it was so far out of my wheelhouse. Um, I did not really enjoy it, but it's something I'm proud of. Um, do you sit back and think, Geez, I've, I've done all right. Like, do you think, or do you reflect on things? What are you most proud of, of, you know, like everything you've achieved so far? Wow, that is a great question. You opened up a can of worms. You know, I think. <laughs> That's um, good. Well, you know, Dale, it is, it's, it's interesting, man. I sit here, you know, I'm about to turn 64 and I'm going to be very honest with you, man. I wake up some days and I go, uh, there's so much more left to do. And I still feel in many ways like the 10 year old who was bullied. Cause I was bullied pretty significantly, uh, pretty heavily during a, a relatively short period of time during uh, uh, my elementary school years. And I always, I always felt like part of the reason I did Ironman or even the running was really to prove that I was tough to prove that, you know, I wasn't that quote unquote coward that was, scared of these kids that would literally hunt me down older kids and uh you know and rough me up pretty good it was a tough period in my life and listen everybody's got their story man everybody does you know uh, i'm no different than anyone else but i i often think that even now i still carry a little bit of that uh 10 year old boy in my mind and i still feel like there's more to prove uh like there's more i need to do and I certainly feel like I'm continuing to learn as a business person because, you know, I've got my coaching business now where I'm working with aging and aspiring adults who want to take control of their health and optimize their age and, and live stronger in the second half. That's my passion. Now I'm coaching still triathletes, which I've done for many years, but I still feel like from a business point of view, I have so much to learn, you know, uh, I've spent more money than I've made. I have to be honest with you. And so, I feel like, wow, I haven't even scratched the surface. Am I proud of what I've accomplished though? Without question, you know, um, Good. I mean, a 239 marathon uh, is uh, insane. You know, nobody, insane. Nobody now. can take, nobody can take no that away way. from me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, listen, for a guy without much talent, you know, but listen, <laughs> and you would, you would say this uh, too, I'm so proud of my kids, you know, uh, my both have uh, amazing careers. They're really doing work that that they should be doing. Um, two beautiful grandchildren. 
So, I'm, you know, I think at the end of the day, they're the best things I've ever been a part of and, you know, ever been involved in, you know, and who they are as people. I mean, I just feel so blessed, you know, to have been at least a part of their life and seeing them develop. And uh, that's amazing. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the accomplishments, but I still feel like man, there's so, so much, so much more work to do. I, I mean, retirement isn't even something I've ever thought about. I, to me, the word doesn't even exist in the language. I, I love that. And, and, if you are waiting to retire, then you're not in the right field because uh, life is for living and it's not working, but work isn't work when you love what you're doing. And I know that that's exactly, you know, what you've spoken about there. Um, I just want to, before we wrap up here today, I want to go back just to what you were saying about, you know, your story around when you were 10 and you got bullied and so forth like that. And you've been trying to prove people right by things you're doing. Do you also think probably more so you're trying to prove that to yourself? Um, or, or is that something, you know, you're trying to prove to other people like, or have you thought about that? You know, and I'm well done for saying you're proud of yourself too, because it's, it's not, it's not easy for some people to say that, but it's also very important that you are proud of the person you see in the mirror. So tracking back, who do you think you were trying to prove something to yourself to overcome, you know, those, that scar tissue of bullying, because bullying is hopefully, (laughs) I, I can't stand bullying. It makes me sick. Um, were you trying to prove to others or yourself um, with everything you've done? Well, yeah, no, on a question, you know, unquestionably it's, it's all been to prove to myself, you know, these are mm-hmm. all things that go on in my own mind and in my own heart. Um, I, I don't think anybody um, around me or who know anyone who knows me, my friends, my family, I don't think any of them would, would say anything other than, that they're certainly, uh, you know, proud of what I've accomplished, and and even and most importantly, I think, for the work that I've done to have a positive impact on the lives of others, because I really feel like that's the most important thing. I feel like that's why we're here. I know you feel the same way because that's the reason you have your podcast. Uh, it's the reason for your book. It's ultimately about lifting other people up uh, and being, you know, being there to support other people, but. No, it's 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 definitely my own battle. I think early on in my life, certainly through my high school years, I became a perfectionist, uh, and and so nothing I ever did was good enough, uh, and I always thought I could do better. And and to some degree, my kids would say I passed a little bit of that on to them. I was hard on them, you know, um, and I and I wish in some respects I wasn't as quite as hard. But but on the other hand, you know, they both uh, have accomplished so much in their lives, and and probably look. Uh, back on the expectations I had for them or that I set for them as being perhaps a, a positive in that. At least I, I, I pray that that's the case. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I, I think, listen, man, you know, we, we all, we all have this, you know, we all have our stories. We all have our experiences. I think so much of, uh, and I know this is true for the athletes that I worked with. And I, I love, you know, someone will hire me to, you know, help them prepare for Ironman. And, you know, when I, when I get past the point of convincing them that the workouts really aren't the most important thing that, and we get a little bit deeper as to what their why is, why are they really doing this thing that they feel like they need to do? And what's, you know, what is a deeper purpose to them? Where does this really all come back to? And I, I love to get into those conversations because when you, when you tap into that, you know, what, what someone's real motivation is, um, then there's limitless potential for, for, for two people as, as a team coach and athlete to explore that. Right. Um, and, and it could certainly, I mean, listen, I, I've, you know, I could have plenty of conversations with a therapist about the same thing with regard to my own journey, <laughs> but the bottom line is, man, we all got our, we all got our past. 
we're all trying to prove to ourselves that we're worthy, that we're, you know, that it's okay that we breathe the air that's around us, that we take up the space on this planet Earth, uh, and that we deserve uh, to be here, and that we deserve to be successful, and that we that we have every right to be happy uh, and satisfied with our lives. That ultimately it comes back to creating our best life. But all of these things matter uh, so so much at the end of the day, regardless of what the activity is. You know, whatever whatever venture or vocation or avocation we're talking about, uh, it still comes back to feeling worthy. I, I think at the end of the day, and I know I know for me it's been that. Mm, it really does. And I think uh, very important that, uh, and that's where it comes back to that question I asked you earlier about, are you proud of what you've done? And and again, if you can say that, then you are worthy because you acknowledge the person you see. Um, and that's a lot easier said than done. So um, well done for being able to do that. I think the more people that we can have these conversations and talk about it, it makes that narrative okay for others or the story we talk about. So um, people are like, wow, I want to, I want to get this book. I want to check out more. Where's the best place to go to find everything you're doing? Well, you know, Dale, right now I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn for, so for any professionals out there, I would love to connect on LinkedIn. Uh, anyone that spends any time on that platform. My website is a terrific place to go to. I've got a couple of them actually, but thealliman.com is a great uh, place to go to. Folks can order uh, order my book there. You can certainly send me a message and see a little bit more about the work that I'm doing with some workshops. And I love to do speaking as well. So, I mean, I love to get up in front of an audience and connect with people and have the kind of conversations literally that you and I are having now where we, you know, we talk about things that, you know, that really matter the most to all of us. This is what really I'm passionate about. And, and honestly, sharing all of uh, my blemishes and all the warts and all the struggle, uh, you know, relatively speaking, that I've experienced uh, all, you know, to to overcome what I think are very natural and normal emotions for all all human beings. It's our humanity. So I would say that's uh, those are good places to start. They can You can find me on Facebook and Instagram as well uh, with the same, uh, you know, the outline and uh, sort of handle and I'm actually spend a lot of time on Twitter too. So uh, I don't know where the hours all go, but it's probably in all these <laughs> different places. It, it kind of depends on what kind of conversations you have, whatever platform you're on, you know, uh, because some are a little more ornery than others, but I love connecting with like-minded people and I love uh, positively impacting lives and just sharing what I've learned for whatever reason I had this path, uh, this journey that I've been on it's certainly something I've thought about every day of my life. So I love sharing it. Well, I appreciate you sharing it, Alan. For listeners out there, this episode number 314, I'll have links not only for socials, but for your website as well, Al, where people can go and reach out and start a conversation, purchase a book. And um, I, I really like how you, you share. And the more people do this, the better that they share. Life isn't always perfect. And unfortunately, uh, I see that these days, Al, with uh, you know teenagers and kids coming through that um, that comparison, particularly on social media where they share that 1% of their week that is rosy and amazing. They don't share everything else. The more that we can share our imperfections and um, our struggles and things that aren't real, you know, that vulnerability people can relate to and that is how they grow. So um, for listeners out there, go and check out, reach out to Al, make a connection because you're a really good man, Al, and I really appreciate you having me on the show. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, man. And, and I'll say the same thing, Dale. Thank you so much. You're you're uh, you're an amazing dude. The work you're doing, 
Um, this conversation has been so much fun. Uh, and I've, I really appreciate the opportunity to meet you, man. It's one of the best parts of my job, having the opportunity to connect with amazing uh, dudes like you. So thank you, man. Thank you. Legend. Appreciate it.